You're listening to Greater LA from KCRW, the show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. Hi, I'm Steve Chiatakis. It's not a job for just anyone, but it's probably LA's most important one that needed filling. The Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority, or LASA, is supposed to coordinate housing resources and solutions between the different levels of government. But it's been the subject of criticism amid the unprecedented homelessness crisis here in L.A. Here's Mayor Karen Bass talking about it recently. We are bringing new leadership to LASA that is completely aligned with the city and the county's efforts. With more than 40,000 unhoused people within the city of Los Angeles, and more than 67, if you include all across the county of Los Angeles, a unified approach is the only way we can make a difference, and that's exactly the road we're on. The new leader of LASA that Mayor Bass alluded to will take over at the end of March. Her name is Valicia Adams-Kellum. She's leaving the St. Joseph Center, a social services organization based in Venice, where she is now president and CEO. She's been there for more than 15 years. And Valicia Adams-Kellum joins us right now. Congratulations, by the way, on the appointment, and thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, and thanks so much for having me. You you called, and I saw this, St. Joseph Center, scrappy and data-driven. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that what you think has been missing at LASA, and, and really in the region in general when it comes to homelessness, that maybe it's not, I don't want to say scrappy enough, but the, maybe <laughs> not enough boots on the ground, maybe not really understanding how how big and profound the crisis is. Well, you know, lately people have been asking me, you know, what, what's been the problem? And it's not that there's a lack of well-intentioned, hardworking people at LASA and throughout the service delivery system. I've been comparing the situation to someone who's depressed. You think about someone who's depressed who has, you know, the resources maybe, has ideas, um, has, has a desire, but feels depressed, hopeless. I feel in a way the system overall has tried so hard, the measures have helped, but still the streets don't tell the story of all the hard work. So much discouragement, a feeling of four steps forward and 10 steps backwards, getting many people off the streets and yet more fall in um, into homelessness so we can get out. And, and so I think of loss in the sense that it's a part of a system that's been depressed and needs hope. And I think we're now in a moment of hope and light that's breaking through that sort of depression and that feeling of what what is it really going to take? No matter how hard we try, we we don't get there. And I believe the the mayor has been a symbol of hope and and her emergency initiatives, like sort of waking us all up to yes, we knew this was an emergency. It's like how could we get out of this? And and the county supervisors in agreement and locking arms, I think, is that. And so when I think of Lhasa and what it needs, it it needed that burst of energy, of hope and light, vision, direction and leadership. You know, Lhasa has a budget of $730 million, right? Three quarters of a billion dollars, if you will. Mm -hmm. And part part of the frustration, I think, for, for many folks is that, you know, money keeps getting approved by voters, but it doesn't seem to make a difference. Do you think that money has made a difference? Is it going to the right places? Is is this somewhat a matter of perception? Or do you think there's more money that's needed? I mean, when you look at the, the crisis, I mean, you can look everywhere at it and say, 
something's not working? You know, that's a complicated uh, answer for me to to give you. And so I'll, let me let me take a shot at this. If the people who are our voters who have said yes and taxed themselves time and time again are saying, we see this problem, we want to vote in alignment to um, provide the solutions, and it still feels like it's getting worse, then I can say, no, we haven't gotten the job done. I don't think anyone is pleased with what we see on our streets, the suffering that we see on our streets. I think what's missing is alignment. You know, you can have lots of money and if it's dispersed, right, and it's not coordinated, if it's not targeted, if there's not a feeling of being on one accord about priorities, I think you cannot see, you you, you don't see the results. I believe when we start to do that more, people will see results and there will be less frustration and I think honestly, more understanding of what it takes. You have said that, you know, acting swiftly when it comes to homelessness is important, meaning you think, you know, maybe there wasn't enough urgency in the past. You mentioned the emergency order that had been taken um, by Mayor Bass when she was first um, sworn into office. I mean, how do you fix that? And I mean, I, I don't want you to point at, you know, anybody in particular, but but I mean, what's gone wrong? Well, let me answer that by saying what I think is going right is when we call the emergency and we say yes instead of no, we say uh, tomorrow instead of a week from now, I believe that the path has been laid before us that allows us to get to yes. And when there's alignment, you can actually move resources swiftly because we already know where we're going. And when the city and county give service providers the go-ahead to move, and there's agreement that the focus is on unhoused, unsheltered individuals, encampments, people in motels and interim housing moving into permanent housing faster than ever, and that it, the developers know that the, the mayor has said, you know, decrease any barriers, remove barriers. So it's not about where we've been. It's really about what we're finding makes sense. You were instrumental in, in setting up Mayor Bass's Inside Safe program. This is a program to get unhoused people living in, in larger encampments inside, indoors, into temporary housing of some kind. One of, one of the uh, elements of that program happened in Venice, right close to where you are, right over there at St. Joseph's. The, the mayor says she wants to see it spread across the city. How do you how do you assess if it's working so far? Are those folks getting into shelters, into some kind of housing, or are the encampments just going to go back to where they were or somewhere else? Or, or is it a sweep? Well, you're asking all the right questions. I'll start with your last question. That's the easiest. The mayor's Inside Safe program is the opposite of a sweep. It is a service-led, housing-driven intervention. It is not a sweep. Are people getting into interim housing shelter? Yes. Part of the inspiration for people to say yes, and people are saying, well, why are they saying yes now? And what kept them from saying? Because we're connecting with them in a very authentic way, and we're saying here is a housing resource 
that will work in two ways. One is an immediate housing resource for tonight. It's a motel because that's what we have that's local and available now. And we will connect you to a permanent housing resource. We will consider your needs. We will figure out whether it's permanent supportive housing that you need, shared housing, or if eventually a person can get back to work. So all of that goes into play. It, it cuts like right down the middle because what people you've got a situation in L.A. where you, you have this and, and I've, I've heard it described as a humanitarian crisis where, you know, if you go to Skid Row, it's like your, your, your heart breaks. Right. When you see that. Or if you go to, you know, some of these encampments under the 405 on Venice Boulevard, you know, for example, or, or many. There are many encampments all over the place near Atwater Village. You look at that and, and there are people who are like, all right, if they come in and they, they move people and people have to give the folks who are unhoused, they have to give their belongings and, and there's a trust issue. And will they get their belongings back? Are they just moving to another place? And you're criminalizing homelessness. But then at the same time, it's like people who live in those areas are like, you know, we also want to be able to enjoy the place where we live. And I, that's like a that's like a tightrope, Right. It, it is. And you you reminded me another piece that you said is how do you know when you've reached a place of success? And I believe success for Inside Safe is when people have left encampments and they are permanently housed. That's success. So there's going to take time before we can really say whether this was a complete success. Your point about what do we do in the space of the shared space where neighbors are concerned about people who are unhoused and how it's so heartbreaking and it is a humanitarian crisis and that folks want to be back in those spaces and enjoy their 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 neighborhoods. And I believe the mayor has said a lot about how that works. So if you go into a community and you house everyone out of it, an encampment, what happens next? How you know it won't get repopulated? And I think part of that is the community then gets back into those spaces and enjoys those spaces and brings activity and exercise and, and equipment and, and all kinds of ways that they reclaim that space, as the mayor said. And, and I think we reclaim it with our neighbors who were once unhoused, who are now housed and on the path of, of well-being and have their ability then to share those spaces. What motivates you, Valicia? What what motivates you to get this work done? You you've been in the um, in a, in a different sort of sector, um, dealing with these issues at St. Joseph's, but you're about to become m- more front facing, public spotlight facing. How do you deal with that, and what's going to motivate you through that? Well, my faith certainly is a part of that, and where. And how I grew up in a space of a community and my mom and dad really showing me what it means to be a member of a community, which means you're giving back and you're volunteering. I was a Girl Scout, you know, my mom used to make (laughs) the costumes for the Mm -hmm. dance team. My dad used to come and make paper mache flowers. He was in the movie industry for my class uh, rooms. Um, You know, we've always given back. We've always felt connected to people who were less fortunate and felt that no matter where we were, we were supposed to be thinking about others and helping. And so it's in my DNA that does motivate me, my sense of purpose in this work and just the uh, ability to have some vision around what what 
might work. I've, I've just always been creative and innovative and uh, love creating programs and systems that may help others. Well, you certainly have your work cut out for you, don't you, <laughs> going forward at, at LASA. And we wish you the best of luck for sure. This is our our city. It's our region, right? And we want we want what's best for everyone, whether they be housed or unhoused. And we want uh, everybody to find a home and, and their place in it. Valicia Adams-Kellum, the incoming head of LASA, the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, you can draw a line to homelessness from available income, any income, of course. Still to come, how much difference can $1,000 make in the lives of people and families in need? More on the Big Leap program here in L.A. That's coming up on the other side of this break. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. More now of Greater LA from KCRW. I'm Steve Chiotakis. So here's a question for you. How would you like an extra thousand bucks a month? No strings attached. That's essentially the idea behind universal basic income or UBI. And it's having a moment here in LA and all across the country. Big Leap is a pilot program that provides a small group of Angelinos with low income an extra thousand dollars a month. Again, no strings attached for one year. The idea is to see if a little extra money could change lives. Well, now that year is almost up. Journalist Sasha Abramsky has followed four participants in the Big Leap program, recently wrote about it for The Nation magazine, and he's with us right now. Hi, Sasha. Hey, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for doing this. Also with us are Kamiko Charles and her husband, Vaughn Luis, who are one of the Big Leap families here in L.A. Welcome to you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Vaughn. Thank you, Kamiko. So, Sasha, I'll start with you. Your article for The Nation um, follows these folks from Big Leap. Walk us through the basics of this program and how does it work, how people got chosen. So, so the process was fairly straightforward. Um, in the wake of the pandemic, there was tremendous cascading poverty, and the city decided to spend a few tens of millions of dollars, I think it was $30 million, on a pilot program where they would end up selecting about 3,000 low-income families mainly from uh, four or five very poor council districts. And those families had to apply. So they went through a fairly basic application process. Um, if they qualified, they met the various criteria. They were called in for an interview. And then it became a matter of a lottery because obviously more people were applying than they had money for and spaces for. So they did this lottery and 3,200 people got selected for one year of monthly payments of $1,000 each month. And the way it differs from welfare is that welfare comes with all kinds of strings attached. You can spend it on this, but you can't spend it on this. You have to be monitored in this way. You have to live in this place and so on and so forth. 
Big Leap has no strings attached. It works on the assumption that if you give people money, they will spend it wisely and people who have needs will spend it to meet those needs. So if they have hungry kids, they'll feed their kids. If they can't afford school supplies, well, now they can afford school supplies. If they need to repair their car, well, that's a fine expenditure. Um, I believe in Vaughan's case that he was able to get spectacles um, with the right prescription. So just things that many people take for granted, but that people at the lower end of the economic ladder really struggle with, suddenly with Big Leap, those things became possible and it changed people's lives. It was a really interesting program. Vaughn, you want to speak to that? You got new you got new specs, did you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I really and truly need glasses sold for a long time. I couldn't afford it. And with the Big Leap program, I, it, I, it was affordable for me to get glasses. How was it that you, that there were no strings attached? Did, uh, I I, I want to be delicate in this. I mean, did you think you know? Okay, I can go to Disneyland. I mean, what did you what did you think you could do with this money? Did you feel like you were obligated to spend it in a, in a way that that helped your family instead of something frivolous? It helped us. It helped us big in a way. You know, it helped us big in a way. We could uh, you know, go to little places that. You know, we wanted to take the kids them. You know, we could afford to go little place with them to enjoy with them. You know, Kamiko, did 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 the money come in handy when it came to you know doing things with your family, being able to pay those bills that maybe you were having trouble with before? Oh yes, it it came in a big way. Um, as uh, for example, getting the car that we needed because the old car we had. Um, Motor mount, transmission, brake problems, oil spillage, it came in handy. We have now a 2004 uh, 14 Ford Flex. Um, it helped us with school supplies. It helped us with hygiene products. Being a mother of five, it helped in a big way. How would y'all have gotten by without this money? Um. Penny pinching, actually, um, because we are part of the county. Um, that would be the only way we would survive. And food stamps played a big part. So thank God for that. It helps out with food wise. But in clothes wise, shoes wise, you know, kids is rough. They're rough with clothes and shoes. So it was a struggle. Sasha, there's been there's been criticism of UBI programs across the country that, you know, that taxpayer money will be spent on on frivolous stuff that doesn't sound frivolous those you know getting eyeglasses and fixing the car and and school supplies for the kids things like that i mean what did you find in your reporting that people are really critical of that or that people understand that that this is money that's really needed and people are going to spend it on the things that they really need no i mean you you're, you're absolutely right you do get some people who write criticism saying well if you give poor people money they just waste their money um, well, first of all, that's very patronizing because most poor people want exactly what most non-poor people want, which is they want to help their children. They want a stable place to live. They want their car to run. They want just basic supplies. They want to be able to buy food when they need food, that sort of thing. But the other thing is, you know, who am I to say what's frivolous or what's not? So in Kamiko and Vaughan's case, you know, for years prior to Big Leap, they'd struggle to be able to do basic things with their children, to take them places, to give them that kind of nurturing engagement with the world that's so important. So now they have a little bit of money because of Big Leap and they can take their kids out. They can take them to the beach. They can take them to museums. They can take them to um, 
parks. They can do things because they have enough money to put gas in the car. They have enough money to buy entry tickets to museums and so on. Now, that's not frivolous because if kids are stuck at home all day because their parents have no money, the kids are looking at four walls all day. And that isn't a nurturing environment. They don't thrive in school. They don't thrive in social environments. But if you then take those kids out and you say, all right, now we've got money, we can go out on weekend trips as a family, well, suddenly the whole dynamic changes and those kids are able to engage with the world more. And that's what I found with the um, families that I was following. And it wasn't just Kamiko and Vaughan. It was three other families as well that suddenly they were less stressed about just everyday expenditures. And because of that, they were able to do things with their children that allowed their children to see the world a bit more. And I thought that was fabulous. I thought it was an absolutely wonderful way for the um, city to be spending money. Kamiko and Vaughn, I mean, this money isn't forever. It's going away, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, how, it is. How will you manage without it? Prayer. Um, we did manage enough to save enough to afford the car payments that we have right now. But we, we're, we're figuring it out day by day, you know, as the time goes. Sasha, for the, for the folks who are no longer getting this money after the program ends, you know, did you did you hear things like that? Uh, well, it depended who I was speaking to. So I, one of the people I interviewed was a young lady who had um, had some terrible health problems and she was enrolled in university and she had two young kids and she'd been struggling terribly financially in part because of the health problems. And Big Leap gave her that cushion to be able to finish her university even while she was having all kinds of treatments and to also put aside quite a bit of money. And so she was able to save and she had one ambition in mind and that was that she was going to get together enough money so that she could put down a security deposit and a month's rent and get her kids and herself into their own apartment because they were living with her grandmother. And she's going to be able to do that. So she used Big Leap very effectively as a temporary bridging mechanism and it changed her financial calculus. But then I talked to another family where the lady had had really big ambitions at the start of Big Leap to save money for housing, but all that money had gone. It wasn't that she was spending it on frivolities. It was just that unexpected bills arose. Her, her car broke down. Uh, she had more expenditures on school supplies than she anticipated, just things like that. And so she wasn't able to save money. And so, you know, the Big Leap isn't a panacea. It's not that everybody who goes in after one year, suddenly they're financially on their feet again. Some people will be, but some of the others... At the very least, it gives them breathing space. So even if it doesn't fundamentally change their financial calculus, even if they've managed to save less money than they hoped they'd save, it gave them that breathing space and it gave them that dignity. And, you know, too often welfare does the exact opposite. Too often welfare is about humili humiliating recipients. And the whole thing about the basic income big leap pilot, not just in L.A., but in dozens of cities around the country it's designed to get people money who need that money and to do it in a way that preserves dignity. And I, I think that's, you know, an excellent, excellent social reform. And I, I think it should be utilized by more cities and more counties across the country. Well, I want to thank you all for coming on and talking with us. Sasha Abramsky, reporter for The Nation magazine. Kamiko Charles and Vaughn Luis, thanks to y'all as well for talking with us today. Good luck to all of you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. That's it for us this evening. Tomorrow, a local farmer shows how making healthier soil is done. It's better for plants. It also captures more carbon. And the next farm bill will actually incentivize it. So how will it help the planet? 
That's yours tomorrow on Greater L.A. How you doing? Have a story for us? Send it along to our website, kcrw.com slash greaterla or kcrw.com slash gla. We'd be honored to be in your podcast lineup as well. All available at the website. All available wherever you get your podcasts. Juliana Mayo, Nihar Patel, Sonia Guy, Sue Margulies, John Meek, Ray Guarna, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Mike Vogel, and Christian Bordal all put hard work into today's episode. I'm Steve Chiatakis. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your ears. Have a great night.